Does the Old Testament teach the Trinity? And if it does, what about the Shema that says clearly, God is one? Also, how does it reconcile the verses that say God can't be seen with ones that say people saw God? And who is the angel Lord talked about in the Old Testament? Is he really Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran, and welcome to Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. These questions and more are what we'll answer in our lesson today, entitled, The Trinity in the Old Testament, plus Jesus as the Angel of the Lord. We know the New Testament has clear pictures of the Trinity. In the baptism of Jesus, it says in Matthew 3, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here we have the three persons of the Trinity. We have Jesus being baptized. We have the Spirit descending. We have the Father speaking. Also, in this benediction of Paul, he mentions all three persons of the Trinity when he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There are many other passages in the New Testament that are quite clear about the Trinity. But what about the Old Testament? From the beginning, the Old Testament talks about the Trinity. Literally, in Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in this passage, the word God is in the plural format. Also, with the passage in Genesis 1.26, when it says, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Obviously, God is clearly a plurality of persons. But again, what about the Shema? Here is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. At first reading, it's hard to see any evidence of the Trinity in that passage, and many use this verse to deny the existence of the Trinity. But let's look a little more closely at what the verse actually says. First, we're going to analyze the word one in the Hebrew. Now, the word one in the Hebrew in this verse, it's the word ihad, and it is used in the Shema, but it's also used in numerous places in the Old Testament to contain multiple entries in the oneness that makes them one. Let me give you some examples of some verses. In Genesis 11:6, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. Well, obviously, the people is made up of multiple numbers of individuals, but they're still referred to as one, and this is exactly the same word. In Genesis 34:16, it says, Then we will give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. Again, a variety of entities making up one. And then one more example in Genesis 41:25, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. And we know that Pharaoh had several different dreams that Joseph interpreted. But he's saying this grouping makes up one. And from the Hebrew word, 
we can see that the word one can contain more than one entity, talking about either a group of people or Pharaoh's dreams. And we then would ask, well, what kind of oneness could there be with God if it's not a oneness of one person? And it is the oneness of substance, of the attributes of God. And I have a chart here that I talk about in a couple of different videos on YouTube. And I have where you can download it both right directly from the podcast notes and on YouTube. Let me describe the chart to you. Up at the top, it says a biblical view of the Trinity. Then it says one God. And on one side, we have the one substance. This is where we get the oneness. And that is that all the persons of the Trinity are eternal, all are loving, all are true, all are unknowing, all-knowing, omniscient, everywhere, omnipresent, all-powerful, omnipotent, etc. But then we have the three persons of the Trinity in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This way of looking at God was summed up in the phrase una substantia tres personas. And this means one substance, three persons. And this phrase was coined by Tertullian, one of the church fathers, in 213. And it is still really a great way to balance out the one substance with the three persons. But a good question is, did people in the Old Testament have any sense of that? Again, we have such very clear images in the New Testament and verses, but what what is it that people in the Old Testament understood. Well, there's another word used in the Shema that gives us a hint that they did. And this is, this is really interesting when I discovered it. It's the word God in the phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word God in this phrase, and also in those earlier phrases in Genesis, is the plural noun Elohim. And again, as I said, it's the same noun that's used in Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God. And people get very excited when they discover that this is a plural word for God, because it shows the Trinity was there at the beginning. And also, too, in Genesis 1.26, where God says, let us make man in our own image. So we know in those verses, and then in this verse in the Shema, also Two, the word Elohim is used, but this is what is really, really interesting. Not only are these three places where the term is used, but that same plural word Elohim is actually the word used for God throughout the entire Old Testament. It is used 2,600 times times. That's 2,600 times from the very first of the Bible uh, in Genesis all the way through to Malachi. This is the word that is used for God, and it is the plural word for God. I have a link in the show notes where that you can go to in the Blue Letter Bible where you can see citations for all of these 2,600 entries. But for those of you that are watching the video, I actually want to show you where this is. Here we have the word Elohim. Um, it is plural, as I was saying. And here is what, this is really interesting. I was kind of going down through, and I'm thinking, 
Oh my goodness, that's really used a lot because they have all sorts of cross-references where they use exactly the same word. And I'm seeing just about every other verse in Genesis. It's that same word Elohim, that same word Elohim. But it really gets interesting when it gets down to this where it says search results continued and you have 45 more boxes of extensive verses that use exactly the same word for God. And this goes throughout the entire Old Testament, all the way, as you can see, from Genesis through the Pentateuch, through the, through the historical books, the prophetic books, all of them, all the way down to Malachi. This is the word that is used for God, Elohim. It's a plural word. So from just this one word, from the use of Elohim, we can see that the plural word for God is used throughout the Old Testament. Now, if God is the author of Scripture, and we believe that he is, in the use of this word, God was consistently communicating something about himself. He was communicating that his oneness was not that of a solitary entity, but a plurality of persons. But who are they? Who are the persons of the Trinity? Now, to answer that, let's overview the Old Testament to see what it says about God and how it describes his encounters with people. Now, the challenge at the start of it is that the Bible says very clearly that God can't be seen. In Exodus 33:20, it says, But he, God, said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. John 6.46 says, Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. Clearly, in both the Old and New Testaments, they tell us that God the Father cannot appear to human beings. But we have a real big problem, because how do we explain then the following verses? where it says that God does appear to humans. In Genesis 17, it says, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And then in Genesis 18, it says, Then the Lord appeared to him, again it's to Abram, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. In Genesis 32, after wrestling with God, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel because he said, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. In Joshua 5, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. As commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. This is what the person said to him. Then Joshua fell face downward to the ground in reverence. In Judges 6, it says, Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then this is, this is probably one of my very favorite ones. This is when Nebuchadnezzar threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to him. And he looks there and he says, Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. What's going on in these passages where the Old Testament characters clearly say they saw God? 
Understanding the Trinity, as we previously discussed it, explains it really easily. There's a plurality of persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These appearances that we just mentioned are those of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. In addition to his participation at creation, he appeared at various times in the Old Testament as what theologians refer to as the pre-incarnate Christ, meaning this was Jesus before he was permanently incarnated or enfleshed when he was born as a baby in the manger. He is also called the angel of Jehovah or the angel of the Lord in these passages. Now, this view is shared by many theologians. Now, two comments that I'm going to read to you are from the preceptaustin.org website, and this is a great resource for all Bible studies. You can look up different books. You can look up different topics. These two come from the entries on the angel of the Lord, and let me read them to you. The first one, and I quote, John F. Walvoord, highly respected for his exposition of the prophetic sections of Scripture and former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, lists four arguments supporting the conclusion that the appearances of the angel of Jehovah represent what's also called Christophanies, or visible experiences of our Lord Jesus Christ prior to his, to his incarnation. And he says, number one, the second person is the visible God of the New Testament. The angel of Jehovah of the Old Testament no longer appears after the incarnation of Christ. Three, both the angel of Jehovah and Christ are sent by the Father. And four, the angel of Jehovah could not be either the Father or the Holy Spirit, for the Father and the Spirit are invisible to man. Dr. Walvoord concludes that there is not a single valid reason to deny that the angel of Jehovah is the second person of the Trinity. Every known fact pointing to his identification is as the Christ of the New Testament. And then Warren Wearsby, who's a lot sort of friendlier writer, he talks about the instance where after Hagar was cast out by Abraham, this the angel of the Lord appears to her. And uh, it, this is what Wearsby says. This appearance is the first appearance in Scripture of the angel of the Lord, who is generally identified as our Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis 16, the angel promised to do what only God can do. And in Genesis 16:13, Hagar called the angel God. And Wearsby then goes on to say, These pre-incarnation visits of Jesus Christ to the earth were to meet special needs and to accomplish special tasks. The fact that the Son of God took on a temporary body, left heaven, and came down to help a rejected servant girl surely reveals his grace and love. Going on then, who is the God that cannot be seen that we've talked about? This is God the Father, the first person of the Trinity who speaks, decrees, demands in many cases, and initiates many of the actions of the Bible. He's often described as the one who is speaking. In Samuel, it says, The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. In 1 Kings 19, it says, After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still, small voice. 
Psalm 68:33 it says to him who rides on the highest heavens which are from ancient times behold he speaks forth with his voice a mighty voice God the Father the unseen speaker is also the one who gives messages to the prophets who then speak God's word to the people. In 2 Kings 17 it says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands, my statutes, according to all the laws which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. Ezekiel 31, it says, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy. So, so far, we've seen in the Old Testament, God the Father is the one who commands, who gives the law, who speaks to the prophets, who then speak to the people, but he cannot be seen. And then we have God the Son, the pre-incarnate Christ, also known as the angel of the Lord, who takes on human form at significant times in the lives of his chosen people. But what about the Holy Spirit? Where does the Holy Spirit appear? Well, there's some really neat um, verses about the Spirit. And overall, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit came on people for specific tasks in the Old Testament. First of all, in Numbers 27, it said, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And then one of my favorites, because as a creative person, I I just really like this. In Exodus 31, it says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs. Our God is a creative God, and the Holy Spirit is one who God sends to inspire and give ideas and give skills in the wonderful, really in his work that was needed to make this glorious tabernacle. And the Spirit also guided the prophets. In Ezekiel 2, 2 it says, The Spirit came to me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking. But sadly, he could also be removed. As when Saul disobeyed, it says, The Spirit departed. In 1 Samuel sixteen fourteen, it says, The Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Now, though separate, all of these persons of the Trinity, of course, work together. And here's just one example of it. God the Father speaks to Moses in the burning bush and initiates the Exodus. God the Son, the pre-incarnate Jesus, is the God Moses speaks to face to face and who commands the Lord's armies. God the Holy Spirit inspires the builders of the tabernacle in their obedience to God's commands. It's not as clear and as explicit as in the New Testament. In other words, no passage spells out what each person does as very clearly as the baptism of Jesus does. But look for the work of the various members of the Trinity as you read the Old Testament. And if you're reading through the Bible with us, there in um, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you see these different actions of the Godhead in different ways as he forms this people for himself. Now some closing comments on the Trinity in the Old Testament. Though not explicitly clarified in the Old Testament, the use of Elohim, the plural word for God, is used over 2,600 times. This in and of itself 
suggests the Trinity, and then individual passages clarify the members of the Trinity in this way. The first person of the Trinity, God as Father of all, is invisible to human eyes. The second person of the Trinity, the head of the Lord's armies, is visible in human form at specific times and looked forward to as the coming Messiah. And the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit empowering those chosen by God for holiness and service. But the Spirit is not universally and permanently given to believers as he will be. About the Trinity and many other biblical truths, God doesn't tell his people everything at once, but he can be trusted to reveal all that needs to be revealed in its proper time. God the Father instructed and cared for his people throughout the Old Testament, though he was not seen clearly. Jesus assumed human form in special circumstances, though for most he was looked forward to as the Messiah. In a similar way, the Holy Spirit only came upon special people to equip them for specific tasks. In the New Testament, Jesus, while remaining fully God, became incarnate in human flesh and is available to all who would come to him. The Holy Spirit now indwells every believer. But as wonderful as this greater revelation of our God is to us in the New Testament, and today, it's now still through a glass darkly. Think about how much more wonderful it will be when we experience God the Father and the Spirit more fully and when we see our Savior face to face. Then we will begin to truly understand the Trinity, though through all eternity we'll never grasp the fullness of it. That's all for now. Please check out the show notes and other materials at www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.